Okay, here's a quote to start us off with. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. This one means something to me. I heard it a long time ago. It's debated who this quote actually originated from. Um, it's quoted widely. I know where I first heard it, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. But the quote is, I heard and I forgot, I saw and I remembered, I experienced and I understood. How many people have heard that at some point in life? Or maybe a version of it? Okay, I'm actually kind of glad that not as many have because there's a lot of wisdom in it and in a way it defines what God has worked in me as my philosophy of ministry and in our church why we're here. It's like a really important quote and a really important thought. So, I, I heard and I forgot. This is like the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. This is what kids think parents say all the time. Wah, 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 wah. This is what we often do sadly to each other. Sometimes spouses feel like this is happening. It's like you're talking, but you're not listening. And you certainly are forgetting. Didn't we just say a minute ago, do this, don't do this? This is every parent's living nightmare, right? Every day. Didn't I just say that 300 times? Yes, and it's still the... Okay, so we hear and we forget. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to speak. We just recognize it's a limited level of effectiveness. But if I see something, I might remember it. My uh, brother Bob forwarded to me a YouTube this past week from Francis Chan. It's a short one. We should probably just put it on Facebook Connects. If you remember to do that or if I do, let's put it out there for more people to listen. It's like a seven-minute excerpt from one of his talks. And in this excerpt, all he's doing is sharing the story of three successive weeks in his life where he met world-changing leaders and they offhandedly happened to mention that this youth pastor, Vaughn, once upon a time made an impact on them and then they went to become like the head of World Vision and the head of, I forget what the other organization, like really doing such great and like broad reaching work for the Lord and it was just because they had someone that they looked back to and so uh, you heard one person say this one week and oh, well, that's cool and the next week a different person, different scenario, same guy. It's like, whoa, third week. He said, do you know, he, the person didn't say Vaughn, but then he said, I heard about this other person, he's like, oh, I know Vaughn too. And it like blew his mind, right? It's one of those God things. When we see it in someone else, we really do remember it. It sticks with us, for better or for worse. Our parents, we're going to remember the good and the bad. Our own experiences, the highs, the really low, low. We, re, we do remember when we see something and then when we live it out it like changes us we really understand and this is a missing piece sometimes in our faith in even our education here in America our educational system the concept is that if you just know enough if you just hear enough then you've got this kind of like storehouse of information so when you get into a situation you can you know know the math you need, know the science you need, know the ethics you need, whatever information they're trying to pour in, and I don't know that it works that way. I think it's usually in the situation itself and after that you realize what you needed and what you either had or didn't have, and so sometimes we can be equipped with something in advance, but it's not really the same as walking through it. Church can be so much just hearing and forgetting. And then that's a waste of our time, even if it's glorifying worship to God. We can truly glorify God and worship Him, but it can never amount to anything if it doesn't multiply outwards. And this is a very real danger, and it's what put us on a path as a church to say we don't want to just hear about Jesus. 
And I don't even want to just see a ministry leader here or there or a pastor here or there or a person here or there that, that will like, is, is doing something for the Lord. We all want to experience walking with Jesus the way the disciples did. So I first heard this quote um, when I was serving with Gordon, Co Gordon College, not the seminary I would later go to, but the college that I had the privilege of being a part of their La Vida program, which is an outdoor education program that Gordon College has a few, Wheaton College, a few others have it. And the goal of the program, this whole department, is that you would take students out of their regular routines, out of school, away from home, and you'd go either backpacking or canoeing or biking for like a week or more. And in that stepping away from their comfort zone, there could be space. Space to hear from God, space to be in nature, space to learn about Him, space to be experiential Learning, And so the phrase that the uh, head of that department, I'm drawing a blank on his name at this time. I don't know if he's even still there. I haven't been in touch with the program for a while. But um, as he was interviewing me to see if I could be one of these leaders on one of their trips, he said, what we're looking for are people that have a storehouse of scripture that they can just draw upon in the everyday moments of life so that people will learn while they're doing and hear what they need when they need it instead of a bunch of things in advance and then hope it comes in handy someday. Experiencing God. And so the whole challenge was to try to push people out of their comfort zone. So there was this rock face and you rappel down the rock face and it was a pretty tall one. And so for everyone who was afraid of heights, that was a huge hurdle. But you have your team there together. There was me and one other leader and there were 10 students. I went twice on these trips. I hope to go again someday actually. That's, that's a dream I have in my mind. We'll see if the Lord opens doors for that. But I go for like a week, a week and a half. And mine were backpacking trips. And so when you're surrounded by people doing something scary, you say, well, I can do this. And then in the middle of doing something scary, you say, this is actually happening and I'm okay. And then afterwards, like I never could have done that or would have done that if I hadn't been with people and you're experiencing overcoming fear in a small way. And there's that perfect teachable moment to say, this is how God always does it. When we have his people around us, all the fears are like this. Can't be done. Oh, it's happening. Wow, it happened. God is good. Like that's the process of fear as a Christian. But a Christian on their own, afraid and isolated and hopeless, with no perspective other than just the fearful things they see, right? So these lessons are just made to be learned uh, in some of these situations. At the end, the very last uh, part of the La Vida trips, um, there's a 10-mile run. And I had never run 10 miles in my life. You think, if you think you like, possibly couldn't do that, well, what if you're just going to try? And what if the people around you don't think they can either, but you just try and you do. Like That's the faith of community, and we just do things together. And whether we walk it versus run it, we're going to get there. We're going to get there together. This experiencing and understanding is the point of us being at the center. This, this is why we're here. We are here so that each of us can hear God saying to us, this is a way that I could use you in the world. This is some of the ways that I've made you. And here are some people that can kind of come around together with you and do it together. And it can be my work and it can build my kingdom. 
Sally and the Prayer Corner is an example of this. We're getting settled into our new space. It's been just like a couple of months now. It's taken us a little bit to just kind of get our feet on the ground. That's good, good. We're settled in here. But we're not here just to worship. We're not here just for Sunday mornings. We're here to be Jesus and his disciples in this community. That's why we're here. So a Sally who has a thought, I love prayer. We all know that about Sally. She could pray on her own though. It works. Her at home alone prayers, very effective. But it's not what we're trying to do here. It's not what we feel God calling us to here. So the next step is, is there anyone else that has that same kind of heartbeat? Well then, band together and pray together and see what God does with it. What Steve shared this morning is another example. And he and I didn't coordinate this sermon with his sharing. He called me this week, we talked, and he said, would you pray for me for this? And I said, well, I've actually been praying that these things would happen, so you're an answer to my prayer. And oh, by the way, guess what I'm preaching on Sunday? What will God use Steve for? And who will God bring around him? That is where Steve will experience God at work. This may be where Steve and where Sally hear about God, but they might only remember a tiny bit of what we talk about, and that's fine. The little bit is what you're going to need, so you remember what you need. And they might see it in others, or you might see it in them, but it's not just to see and elevate certain people as if they're special kinds of Christians. If you ask Steve or ask Sally, they don't think they're a special kind of Christian. They just had an idea, and it's like growing. It's like bubbling. So we run with that. Because that's the Holy Spirit prompting us. So I've seen this on missions trips. You go away overseas and you bond together with a group of people. You step out of your own life. You stop feeling like your job is the most important thing. And you use your vacation time to go to Kentucky, to go to Minnesota, to go to Mexico, to go to the Dominican, to go to these places where wherever the need was, hook up with an organization they send you there. But God let us pass that here as a church, didn't he? Didn't he move us from that to serve home? And it's not that there's never a place for foreign missions, but we grew from that to say, well, we also could do that in our neighborhoods. There's no reason why we just can't band together and find a need and serve locally. And when Bob and others continue relationships with people who we served in past summers, they realize, how cool is it that we get to be local? He doesn't have to fly back to Mexico every time he wants to chat with a lady whose porch we fixed. And floor we replaced. Because it was never about the floor or the porch. It was about the lady. And how God loves her. And how much we need her to know that he cares about her. So what a great potential Serve Home has. But then if it's just Serve Home, if it's just one week a year, that's not enough. That's like Jesus taking 11 months off or 51 weeks off and being like, alright, this is ministry week. Does that sound like what Jesus did? He lived it, he breathed it, he was exhausted. People had to like wake him up to like get back into ministry because he was zonked, as my parents would say. I don't know if that, that might be a New York word. That, that's, that's an old one, that's from my childhood. Jesus was that way because he wasn't taking time off. He Sabbathed, he rested. But no, he was just in it. And there wasn't anything more important. But in all these go away sort of things, or go and join, or the retreats that we participate in, like at a Monadnock up in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, those sorts of things, isn't there always that sort of feeling afterwards that you come back afterwards and it's kind of a letdown? It's kind of like boring again. It's like back to normal life. I don't think Jesus felt that. 
I don't think there was a normal life ever again for him and his disciples. I don't think there was a going backwards. It was just a new life. It was a different sort of life ever after. Come and follow me. It wasn't in fits and spurts. It was a lifestyle. It was a world view, a mentality. And so that's where God's calling us, not just mission strips, but some of us have experienced it with youth, youth groups. That's kind of a cool one. Because teens are looking to form their own community. They don't yet have their own families and their own jobs and are established. They're learning. And so put a bunch of teenagers in a room and, and they bond. And so if you've ever been a youth leader or a teenager yourself, you know it has that potential to be these little pockets of Christian community. It was interesting. I didn't experience it that way when I was a child, though. Youth groups were never my closest friends, even though I grew up in the church. Um, our church was a smaller church, and I was typically at like an odd age where there weren't a lot of people my age. So there wasn't ever like a big youth group, and when there was, I was usually the older one in it. Um, so I would go to other churches sometimes and join the youth groups. I wanted community. I wanted to find my people. I didn't just want to go to church. But I don't think, and I don't have any hard feelings towards, but I don't think the groups and the youth groups that I went to knew very well how to make me feel like I belonged with them. So I was just always sort of like that kid from the other church that joins on. Never became one. And so I also feel like as I grew up, I had a lot of experiences where I felt like I wasn't part of something. I was on the outside looking in, kind of an outsider. And what that does is that actually just gives you a bigger hunger for it. That's like the single person hungry for marriage. <laughs> when you don't have something that you know you want and you can see is good, it makes you want it more. And so I love that God didn't give that to me at times. And then later on in these places, small groups, missional communities, give me a taste of what it's like when you have true Christian community. But the key to it all is that it has to be God who does it. It's Jesus who says, come and follow me. And it can't be in my philosophy of ministry. For us here, what we've been learning, it can't be mandated. All right, we're going to divide the church up into six groups of ten. These are going to be your small group partners, and you're going to stay together for a year, and here's the things you're supposed to learn. For me, that was a stepping stone of experience, but it wasn't like the goal. The spontaneous unique, creative expressions of, I just, I want to serve people and my skills are with a hammer and nails. Awesome. Who's with me? That bonding? The parents are like, I'm trying to figure out kids right now, whatever age they are, and other parents come together and be like, we're going to pray for each other because we feel this. Bible study can be a small group, can be a prayer team, can be a, a serve home project, it can be landscaping, it can be community outreach, it can be youth, it can be anything, but it has to come from the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So this is my super, super, super long-winded way to get us into the book of Colossians to show you what might be easy to miss. There would be no book of Colossians if Christians didn't come together in ministry. We would not even know Paul. We would not even have his letters if it wasn't a result of Christians coming together in the gospel work. You're going to see all he does is co-write. All he does is send his letters through someone else. All he does is hear about someone else through someone else. All he does is talk to them about them. It's all about this relationship. And he describes what it's supposed to be like. He, he defines this kind of like 
unbelievable bonding, and he calls it koinonia. This word for like oneness as brotherhood and family. And he describes the process of it. And he uses this word synergy. This working together with. It literally means with workers. (laughs) Workers with. Gospel partners. It's my prayer and dream that as we begin here to figure out what God's doing, that you will hear God speak to you and be like, I got a crazy idea. That's like the best beginning to a conversation we could possibly have. And see what God does with it. This won't be a place where we're telling Christians what to do as the leadership. This is a place, the center is an equipping place. It's a training center. It's a sending center. So all the leadership teams here are here to support you. They're here to say, what is God saying to you? How can we help? Can we use this place? Can you use it? Great. Do you need money? Can we fundraise for something? Do you need hands? Can we volunteer? What is God saying to you? The church is there to help it happen. And that is the organic nature that we see in the early church. And it's really so elusive. It's so hard to hang on to as a church because we just start, start structuring things. We start laying out, well, this is the way we do things. The way we do things is we're going to see what God's going to do. And if you will help me maintain that approach for decades to come, instead of just getting settled in one thing we do, one way do we do it, we'll continually be open to God changing us and working in us. So if you would look at Colossians with me, we're going to do a little bit of a different kind of study this morning in that we're going to look at names, we're going to look at people. I want you to recognize the people, and maybe you'll remember them. Maybe this is the hear and forget. Okay, so be it. God will teach us as he wants. But maybe you'll see some of these people, and it'll stick. Some of these names might, you know, Aristarchus. Is it going to jump off the page? Are you going to remember it? And Maybe. Maybe that person will be inspirational to you. But I want us to be Aristarchus. I want us to be Tychicus. I want us to be Luke. I'd rather we not be Demas, you'll see in a little bit. That's probably not the model we want to follow, but that's also real life. Community is messy. It's not always easy. And so after we see these couple of excerpts in Colossians, we're going to flip over to Philemon, a short letter, because so many of the same players were involved in that scenario. And then just a little bit from Timothy, because the Christian church is all about community. So would you read with me Colossians chapter 1? Verse 1. These are the parts of the New Testament letters we always just skim by. Paul, on behalf of somebody with somebody, okay, grace and peace, okay. Now what he's trying to say. Stop before you get to the meat of the instruction. Think about what is being said. Colossians 1, 1 and 2. Written in Paul's handwriting, he says so later. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means a sent one. Newsflash, your apostles... You're sent by God to be ministers of the word. Now, that's a title and a role in the big C church, but it's also a definition of what it means to be a Christian. So identify with these people. These are not high and mighty, lofty, spiritual giants. These are men and women. This is church. This is community. This is koinonia. This is synergy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. All right, so all glory goes to God right away. Paul's not bragging. Paul's not elevating himself. Good word to the wise there. But it's not just Paul. Paul and who? Who? 
he, he's got a, a writing partner. And we know there's letters to Timothy. We're going to read an excerpt from one of them later. So we know that they're not always together. Lesson number one, you don't get to pick who you're together with and you don't always get to stay together. Got to be okay with that. We've learned that lesson moving here, right? Not everyone who we were with two years ago, before a pandemic, before a move, is with us now. But there are some people that are with us now that we're not there. And that's all God's job. So we let people go. Yesterday we had a prayer time here for the Gendros, and it was beautiful. I know it was short notice, so for anyone who couldn't make it, no worries. Uh, if I don't have your cell number on our text chain, please do give it to me. Also, our emails, because we do communicate sometimes spur-of-the-moment things like this. So that morning, yesterday morning, we said, hey, prayer time tonight, because that's when we found out we could do it, and that's when we did it. We prayed together, we had communion together one last time, and then they left, and I don't know, maybe they're passed out over open boxes in their living room right now, or they're driving, I don't know. Um, but we, we did that. We came together, and we prayed for them. But we have to let them go. You don't get to keep them. And it's always been this way. God brings people in, He brings them together, and He sends them out. So if we're going to be good at Christian community, we also have to be good at saying goodbye, and it's okay. It's okay to say goodbye. It's even good. Because we know that God works these things towards good. And if God's calling us to different places, then those are the ones who are called according to his purpose. We might not understand it. We threatened the Gendros that we were going to tie them up here last night. Because we outnumbered them so much, so we figured we could take them. But you see, they're not tied to any of the poles, so we obeyed the Lord. We let them go. Paul, his job, because of God, with his brother... Timothy, our brother, and not just his, our, our brother. This is all family talk. We are all one. To all the saints and faithful brothers, that's a, a gender-neutral term, if you could put it that way. It just means brothers and sisters. It means family. It means people. To our faithful saints and brothers, Christians, in Christ, in Colossae. Grace to you. It means it's all from God, undeserved. And peace is blessing from God, our Father. Now again, we're, we're trying to find people, so come down with me to verse 7 if you're following along in your Bibles. He says to them all the things he's going to say, and these are just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. There's that synergy concept. Uh, somewhere else in the Gospel, or in the letters, Paul calls it a partnership in the Gospel. Your Gospel partner. This is how you should look at things like, you know, a Thursday prayer group, uh, uh, or accountability and fellowship and sharing group, a prayer team, a serve home. We're doing gospel work. We're partners in the gospel. So this Epaphras was another one of those, and he's ours. He belongs to us. We get to enjoy that family, which is working everywhere around the world. Beloved fellow servant with workers, synergy. He is a faithful ministry of, minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So he brought the word around. There's no such thing as a Christian in isolation. It's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. It's a fallacy. And yet we're Americans. We have our own job. We have our own cell phone. We do our own thing. I have my hobbies. My wife has her hobbies. We're independent people. But that's not what Christian is. Christian actually is a plural term in exactly the same way that last week we talked about God being a God of muchness. 
You can't take a piece of God. God is so big, you can't comprehend it. And you can't take a Christian out of Christianity and say, you can stand on your own. Because the minute you're saved, you're saved into the family. You're saved into community. And that comes with all sorts of good things and all sorts of hard things. But it is the way it is. And so for Christians that want to be Christian but stay on their own, it's not right. It is either fearful of what the vulnerability will cost you, selfish because you don't want to accommodate what the body of Christ might need, or proud because you don't think that you need it. So which ones of those do we want to be? Fearful, selfish, or proud? Because you have to be like one of those things if you're going to fight against community. Get rid of some fear. Community helps with that. Be humbled. Community helps with that. Christian community. It's a plural term in exactly the same way that God is much. The word God is a plural word in Hebrew. That's what we talked about. Christianity is a plural concept. We are not alone. We're brothers and sisters. Move down to Colossians 4. Again, I said we're going to do a little bit of jumping. This is the last section in Colossians. Then we're going to go over to Philemon. Uh, just a couple of letters further on in the New Testament. But Colossians 4, verse 7. Let's hear about some more people that were involved in this work. And, and just as Paul starts with a letter saying, hey, here's who I'm with, and now here's the teaching of the letter, he ends his letters with, these are the people in ministry, the gospel partnerships, the synergy, the with workers, that we're enjoying koinonia with. There's the process. The process is we work together, serve the Lord together, but the nature of that identification, the nature of that unity is so loving. He always calls like beloved brothers, beloved sisters. And that's what we long for. We long to be loved and to love one another. And that's where it happens in the gospel partnership. All right, so Colossians 4, verse 7. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and synergy with worker, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, I'm sending Onesimus. The whole letter of Philemon is about Onesimus and the relationship of Christian community and how hard it was. And you'll hear Onesimus' story in the very next thing we read. But he's sending with him Onesimus back to Colossae. Now, Onesimus, he says, is our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So he's from Colossae. He's of you. He's your people. But he's our faithful brother. And they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. They're going to fill you in. God's been good. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So that's another one in jail with him. So he's got gospel partnership in jail. This is a good encouragement to us. You don't need to be in a happy place in life or having it easy. Or Gospel partnerships can happen anywhere, even in the most unlikely places, that Christian synergy. Paul has a friend in prison. Also, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning, you have concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Those are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. Synergy, that's the word again, with workers. For the kingdom of God, they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, again, your people, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So this may be like the Gendros. They're elsewhere, but they're praying hard for us and working hard in the kingdom on our behalf. 
Epaphras is one of you, is apart from them, but he sends you his greeting because we're still family. We're still koinonia. We're still bonded, even if we're distant. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. House church, community, koinonia. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, kind of the next city down the road. See to it also that you read the letter from Laodicea. So read what I wrote to them. Learn from each other. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. So one guy gets an accountability call. Everybody else gets a compliment. <laughs> Tell Aristarchus, come on, get on the ball, buddy. See that you finish. Get to work on what you're supposed to be doing. Because it's family. And we know sometimes some of us are slow. Sometimes some of us are racing ahead. They know each other. This is relationship. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. I consider it required reading for Christians. If you haven't read it yet, get the audiobook, read the book, or at least come talk to me or someone who's read it. You will be blessed by any little tidbits you can get. Uh, he wrote it as a result of him living in a, a communal-style Christian community where they worshiped together and they had daily activities and daily prayers. It was much more comprehensive than what we typically experience. But it taught him a lot about what Christian community is about. And he uses this phrase, it's a warning term. He calls it the wish dream of Christian community. Uh, usually when we enter into community, we have not what it will really be in our heart. We have a wish dream of what it will be like. I want to join this new church because everyone there is so nice. Is are all of us here really that nice? Nope. Nope. And definitely not all the time. Like, don't set that bar for us. Unattainable. I want to join this Christian community, this church, because the preaching's really good and the music's really good and I love it. Are my sermon's always going to be really good? Yes. Nope. Nope. Wrong. Heresy. Wrong. I deny that. I refuse to take on that responsibility. That's ultimately not something I can maintain. So nope. And the musicians will never play a wrong chord or sing a wrong note or lead in a way that was just like, oh, we played songs instead of worship. Nope, because that's going to happen too. What's your wish dream? Because those are the standards that you're hoping that this group of Christians impossibly is supposed to live up to. Marriages look like this sometimes. What's your wish dream of that Christian community? I'm longing for a Christian spouse that will be perfect for me in every way and encourage me in all things and help me and compliment me in all of my strengths and be nothing negative till death do us part. Like the wish dream, and then that gets shattered. You're like, oh, it's real people, and we create problems, and sometimes marriages even fail and are broken. We're like, this is not what I wanted. And you're like, well, because what you wanted isn't reality of Christian community. You wanted perfection. You wanted unrealistic expectations for what Christians are meant to be. So I read this, and I appreciate seeing how they failed. Because if Paul and his friends and those disciples can fail together and still have God use them, then he can do that for us. You can have disagreements in church. You can have disagreements in your marriage. You can have church splits, Christian community, that go their different ways. Paul, John, Mark, Barnabas experienced that same thing, but God still had something for them on each of their paths. Even experienced loss in marriage. 
I was just talking with someone earlier this morning who was saying, you know, in my first marriage it was this sort of relationship and then in my second one it's been such a blessing. God can bring things together after they get messy. We have to know what we're in for. And if we settle for, I have a personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, we're not realizing that that personal relationship is a community relationship. And it's not meant to be done on your own. It cannot be done on your own. It will fail on our own. So this wish dream that he kind of warns us against, Bonhoeffer, I love. And there are two specific people that were in the middle of hard situations. One is Onesimus and the other is Demas. I've kind of hinted towards both of them. They were involved right smack in the middle of conflict and problems and struggles and pain and hurt. And through them we get to see what role forgiveness and grace and the power of God and his sovereignty, how it works through it all. So I'm very grateful for these stories. We're going to read just a little bit from them. So Philemon is where we find ourselves next. Flip a couple of pages forward in the New Testament. Philemon is only one chapter long, so it's just Philemon. It's not Philemon 1, verse whatever. It's just Philemon, verse whatever. We'll start at the beginning. We'll read a couple of excerpts from them. Again, focusing on the people. This place will not make us better Christians simply by being here. It will not. It cannot. It's just a building. It's just walls. It's a location. But it's an opportunity, and it can be a challenge, and it can be a tool. But we are the ones that need to come together. And so it's about people. Jesus Christ died for people, for persons. For all the persons. It's not about our programs. It's not about our facilities. It's about us in our true heart. So here's an example where it didn't go well, but the gospel came in and did grace the way only God can do. So in the letter of Philemon, it starts off, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So he's still in prison, still writing. And Timothy, our brother. So this is written around the same time when Paul and Timothy were co-writing letters. So similar time frame, maybe 60 AD. Some scholars and historians will pinpoint about that thing. So Jesus, if his death and resurrection was around 30, 35, and this is it's like 30 years later, and Paul's in prison, and he's got a brother there, many, several brothers, gospel partners in prison, and he's writing letters which we get to benefit from 2,000 years later. It's beautiful. So Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. That's a synergy word again, with worker. Uh, and Aphia, our sister, men and women. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. So probably a saved Roman soldier. That's part of the collection of the church. And the church in your house. Another bunch of Christians joining in a house. I love that. I love house church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's his greeting. Those are the people that he's working with. If you move down to verse 8, you see the explanation about the story of Onesimus and what community meant for him. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Paul says, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, spiritual child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he met Onesimus, a former slave, servant, we're going to see, in prison. 
and Onesimus was saved. He became his spiritual father in his prison time. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This is a pun. We don't get it because Onesimus means useful one. So like he, he's living up to his namesake. He's become what we called him before because he truly is so useful to the kingdom. I'm sending him back to you. What do you think Onesimus thought of this? Go back to your master. But as a believer now, I'm sending him back to you and I'm sending my very heart. That's how much Paul loves him. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Right? He lost him for time, but we have him for eternity now. He's in the kingdom and through prison, through slaves running away and now coming back. God did something amazing. Verse 15 again. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but much more than as a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So what we have in that Christian community is the interaction of slaves and masters and slaves who run away and slaves who are saved. And how, how does that play together? And forgiveness, people who were wronged, people who parted ways, people who were reunited, and this whole overarching feeling like we are co-workers. May we live in grace with one another. Onesimus' story is not an easy one, but it's a gospel one. If we look at the last couple of verses, his kind of postscript, as he always writes, look at the list of people that he's with. It's the same crew, right? So during this season of his life, he's writing, he gets to spend time with so many of these same people. In verse 23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The end. I said we were going to talk about Demas, and if you would turn to 2 Timothy with me. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Demas doesn't have a good ending to his story, even though he had a great beginning. It's kind of the opposite of the John Mark story. Um, Paul and John Mark and Barnabas were together, and then Mark abandoned them, but then later was reunited. In this, to the best of our knowledge, Demas was with them, with them, with them, and then left them, was lost to them, not just traveling, but you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul is now writing to Timothy. So Timothy himself, his partner, his protege, his pastor that he sent out to go pastor on his own, he's writing a letter to him, staying in touch, teaching him, continuing to mentor, continuing to be fellow workers in the gospel. And he shares something with Timothy that I don't know if Timothy knew before this, but he's probably letting him know that not everyone who starts together ends together. And this is the sad reality of Christian community as well. You know, Jesus, you know, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, do I know you. Um, many are called, but few are chosen. Wide is the path to destruction, narrow is the path to life. Like all of these truths and teachings show us that not everyone who begins with us will end with us. And that needs to be okay. 
because it is the way it is. And that's in God's hands. But sometimes for us, it ruins the wish dream of Christian community. And it doesn't need to. We just need to put our dream down for the reality of the family that God has called us to, for better or for worse. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. I miss you. So there's the human side of it. Like, hurry up. Come on back. Because Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. And then he lists other people. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with, me for, with you, for he's very useful for me. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. Isn't that cool? This is just people. People? Dude, when I was there, I left my uh, coffee mug. Can you bring... This might be a Karenian there. When I was there, I left my coffee mug. Would you bring it with you when I see you at the center? Right? Love. There's so much love in a little statement like that. And that's why the Bible is so authentic. It's not high and lofty. Thou shalt send... There's people. And there's good times and there's bad times. And we're together for seasons and we're apart for seasons. The only thing that matters is that we're doing it together with whoever we're with. And that we're doing what God is calling us to do. Paul knows that he's an apostle sent by Christ Jesus. He knows his calling. And when you know that God's tugging on your heart and you have your people with you and you're going after a purpose together, in my mind, there's no greater thing in the entire world. There's no greater experience. There's no greater joy, even if it's messy. Even when it's messy, there's something alive about that. That's bigger than participation in an activity. It's bigger than being a member of a church. It's bigger than being part of a program or a ministry. It's like, I'm like, I belong. And for anybody to experience what it's like to have a group of Christians that pray for you and care about you, it's beautiful. And if you've ever also had the experience where you feel on your own, you feel isolated, you feel unheard, unseen, unloved, you know that it's the worst. What this takes is for us to say, all right, God, what are you saying to me? And how am I not going to be afraid anymore? Because it's okay to be vulnerable. And how am I not going to be so proud to think that I don't need people? Because I can't do it on my own. It's going to be about us humbling ourselves, about us not being so afraid and us stepping into community together. Steve, what did you say at the end of your little introduction? I'm terrified. Praise God for that. Because guess what? You're doing it anyway. And no one said take this step except God alone. So that's organic. That is spirit-led. That is... Free. It can become whatever God's going to make it. But it will be life-giving. Because we're supposed to be branches that are alive, attached to a vine that's alive, bearing fruit that's alive. And it doesn't happen any other way than just Jesus at work in us. Maybe that's my word that God's giving me today. We only can accidentally ever do anything right. The only thing we know we can do right is hang on to Jesus. Hang on, cling to the vine. 
because all these things will come from it. The good will only come from being willing to be with people and apart from people and together and separated and sent and gathered and joined and happy and grieving and say farewell to close friends and welcome and meet new friends and see new people come to Christ and see Christians go and do other things in other parts of the world and spread the gospel. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's this huge living organism and we, because we're so very wonderfully American, we've turned it into an organization. It was just never supposed to be. It was supposed to be a living, breathing organism. We're alive together in Christ. So yes, our, our church has like places you can serve. There are roles, there are teams. But if you look at, say, our like spiritual oversight team, elders and people praying for us as a church, that's an opportunity for those people to say, God has put it on my heart to want to pray for this congregation. It's not a job title, it's a calling. And guess what? They get called together with workers, synergy, Christian synergy, and then experience brotherhood because several people feel like this is my calling too. And then we can be blessed by people serving as pastors and elders and spiritual oversight. We have a mission direction team, and they're kind of working through how do we go about ministry, asking questions. They can be logistical, they can be direction, they can be activity. But that can't be a job title. It's got to be a calling. Otherwise, we'll have no life. It'll have no spirit. But if we say, man, I've got ideas. What, what could God do with this? And you join with other people like, well, I've got ideas. Then that synergy, that working together comes to life. So... I bring this all together just to say this is what is now for us. This is why we're here. If at any level of your life you don't feel that, if in a marriage you don't feel that synergy, not truly on the same page, it's not something to just settle for. It's something to work through and pray for and effort to improve. If you're in a church but you're just listening, observing, not sure, there's so much more to community than just church services. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do, or maybe you are sure, you've always had this thought in the back of your mind, I should do this, I could do this. God bless whoever that emergency is for. If you always had something in the back of your mind, maybe this is the time to say, I wonder who also has been having God whisper that same word. And how could that come to life? This is why we're here. We're here to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and to love God and to love each other and to love the people around us. And so for all of us who recognize this and step into it, uh, this is the beginning <clears throat> of quite an amazing time. <clears throat> for those, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. For those, and I've had conversations specifically with people like this in the past, no one here and not currently, but I have, I smile because I'm just not wired that way. For people that want things like a certain way and very predictable, you're going to be very unhappy here. Because we don't know what we're doing or when we're doing it. But we know the God who does all the good things and we're trying to get on the same page with Him. And so we're going to flex, we're going to change, we're going to adapt. And that to me is a joyful thing. And that will be what either brings us joy or drives people running away from us because it's too organic and not structured enough. Let's leave room for the Spirit to work. Let's see what God does in each of us. And uh, maybe our own letters one day will be examples of how we were together, how God brought us in, out, and built his kingdom for his glory. As we read through Colossians, I hope you recognize they would not even, book would not even exist 
if it wasn't for the fact that God puts the right people together at the right times to accomplish things that will last. The things that we do for God will last because he's making them happen. We just get to be along for the ride during that season, and it's beautiful. There's nothing better, nothing better at all. Let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll celebrate communion. Music team, if you'd like, you can come up and kind of get ready. Uh, we can welcome the mission kids back in, I guess. But please pray with me. Holy Spirit, I ask for your continued voice to be clear to each of us. May we recognize your whispers. You don't always shout. Sometimes you do, and thank you for that. But you often, often whisper. And then you just keep whispering. And you say again, tomorrow, son, daughter, child, you know what you need to do. You know what you've been saved for. You know who you've been saved for. You know who's on your heart to minister with minister to. May you fill us with your wisdom, Holy Spirit, and with all of the gifts necessary to accomplish whatever it is that you put in front of us. On this morning, Father God, I, I commission this congregation, this church to you as a gospel outpost, as a collection of bands of believers who will go out to minister in your name. I ask you for the right gospel partnerships to arise and to thrive and to bear fruit. I ask you for new partnerships to emerge. Father, I ask that you inspire us with creativity and uniqueness rather than structure and conformity. May we simply only conform to your will and your love. Pray for wisdom for those serving as leaders within this body. Pray for wisdom for each person, young and old. May we just truly hear from you. And we thank you in advance for the ways that you will spur us on to these organic faith partnerships. Christian synergy is coming together. I can already see you doing it, God. You need no help from us, but thank you for inviting us into the process. Ah, oh, you're so good. You have such good things ahead. You have such good plans for your kingdom. Help us to stay true. To you and help us to be that, that church in, in Colossae, the recipients of your word, faithful ministers of it, and brothers and sisters in it. Let me pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.